This show is designed to give general information related to investing in finance. Neither Aaron Katzman, his guests, nor the radio station are rendering legal, tax, or specific investment advice. If you need such advice, contact a licensed advisor. And welcome to the Aaron Katzman Show. I'm your host, Aaron Katzman. We're here to speak about your life, your money, and your investments. And as always, we're coming to you from the spiritual and soon-to-be financial capital of the world, Jerusalem, Israel. If you like this video, be sure to hit the like button. It's hard. Hit the like button below. And if you've not yet done so, please subscribe to the YouTube channel and get all your friends and family to do so also. So... We're going to do something a tiny bit different this time. We're going to start a series on entrepreneurship in Israel, not Startup Nation. We're not talking about high tech. I get a lot of calls from people who are thinking about making Aliyah or people who have made Aliyah recently. And they want to know from me, um, somebody who started a business, what it's like to start a business in Israel. And I thought it'd be really interesting to speak with other people who've actually done it and not in the software world, but in sort of the real world. Um, which is more interesting and in, very, in, in certain respects, um, there's a lot more on the line because you're not always using, uh, what they say, other people's money, but you've got a lot more skin in the game when you do it yourself. Not to take a hit, I'm not taking a jab at high-tech people, but there's a certain uh, affinity I think I have with people who do it sort of in the old economy. So it is my pleasure to introduce to you Devorah Levine Katz, a someone who grew up in Toronto, Canada. So she's got a little bit of a funny accent, but we'll deal with that. But she's been living in Israel since 1995. She started in education, where she was an educator, curriculum writer, and editor. But she made the big change in 2015, and she founded a bakery called Pat Bamelach. Um, and it became a big tourist destination in Gush Etzion. She started with her husband, David. It grew to include a restaurant, event space, and a workspace, workshop space, excuse me. They merged uh, with a larger company, and David and Devorah stepped down a few months ago, and now they've got a brand new project called Meshek 48. It's my honor to introduce and welcome Devorah Levine Katz to the show. Hi, yeah, it's so fun to be here. We are the absolute opposite of high tech. We are, we always say we're just low tech. That's great, but people eat. People they, always eat, yes. And they eat they potato chips and they don't eat, you know, computer semiconductor chips. Um, yes, meaning the, the hope was that we were going to sort of move the story away from potato chips and into sourdough breads and uh, a more mindful living. So tell us your story, okay? Because you started out, and for, for full uh, disclosure, we our friends, we go back a long, long time to sort of like, exactly. since you started living in Israel in 1995. Um, you were so in long. education. How did you go from education to sourdough? That's a great question, really a great question. And I think that the vibe sort of was like, let's just try some things. David was doing formal education. He was teaching. And at the time I had been, I'd started off as the assistant director of Young Judea's year course. And then I moved more into teaching and curriculum development and then curriculum writing. And then I stepped back from curriculum. I stepped back from teaching and was just doing curriculum development. And we got to a point where we understood that teaching in Israel does definitely not pay all of the bills that it should be paying. And David had been running workshops on his own already. He'd been going around the country. He was running workshops in the States. 
And through all of his workshops and my informal, and my curriculum writing, we sort of came to a new point where we realized David started with matzah baking workshops, but we realized he was only popular one week out of the year. Like the week before Pesach, everybody wanted a workshop. But after that, it didn't really work as well. So he was doing olive oil making the week before Hanukkah, honey, harvesting honey the week before Rosh Hashanah. And I think he was looking for more of an anchor and felt like he understood matzah, now he would understand hummus. Mm-hmm. So what started really as a hobby for him in sourdough really turned into a passion. And after a year or two, I was like, I want lawn furniture and you've got a really big oven in my backyard. We moved the oven, found a space in Rosh Hashanah and we sort of carved out this deal where I wouldn't touch any dough, like for Shalom Bias, that was all his and I would do everything else. And so we started with David baking and selling breads in Rosh Hashanah on a kibbutz in Gush Etzion. And simultaneously, he was running workshops and I was doing everything behind the scenes. So it was this kind of curvy road that got us there. But when we look back, it really makes complete sense. And you didn't have like, you weren't, you didn't have any previous business experience. You sort of hit the ground running. Zero business experience and even hitting the ground running um, makes it sound like we could even run. We hit the ground with some kind of splat. And then we sort of pulled ourselves up and we're like, what, what is happening? Uh, one of the things that works very well for, for David and for me is that we don't put ego into it. We're very good at not being the smartest people in the room and saying, somebody else who knows something, why don't you teach me about that? So we've had all along, we've been pretty lucky with the people who have worked with us, come on board, invested, gave their time it really was a sense of people who really wanted us to succeed. That's cool. So you then grew Padma Melch into like this juggernaut. And then, and then, and then, um, so you merged it with a bigger company and, and then, so what happened? You had Corona, which obviously was, you know, probably was a game changer in certain respects. It was a game changer. Look, meaning, a lot of our revenue and our revenue streams, they were very diversified because once we left Roche Tureen, which was this very small space that had enough for a small bakery and workshops, and we moved to Efrat, which had tons of space. So our revenue stream grew because we were, we had a restaurant and we had workshops that were running there and we had event space there. And when Corona hit, we sort of, it just, it knocked us out. And one of the things that we're good at is um, the hustle and pivot. I mean, those are the two things that we just, from the minute, I even remember, it's literally hilarious that when COVID began, there was like a Saturday night where my senior staff all drove in to sit in a front and to figure out what do we do as if we could understand what a pandemic looked like. Like that meeting, like everything that was suggested there was completely wrong. We had no idea what was about to happen. I, I would have assumed we would have gone out of business. And the truth is that also because we had investment behind us that really allowed us to um, go through COVID, but we switched it up. We are like, people aren't allowed to come in, but we can send out. And at that point, everybody was at home. Everybody was eating their feelings. And, um, and it was this great thing where you're like, I'm going to be in Ranana one day a week. And then Modi'in, Yerushalayim, Sor Hadassah, Beit Shemesh, 
uh, we sort of hit major cities in the country one a day or two or three a day for, I don't even know how long, a year, a year and a half, because people weren't going to their favorite bakeries or that income that they had or the money that they had on the side for going to restaurants or travel, if they could bring donuts in and a nice loaf of sourdough and a soup, they're like, okay, that's good. So COVID switched in general, it switched how we deal with food and how we approach food. But um, beyond that, we were able to our surprise to, um, to go through COVID. That's great, amazing. And then you sort of, then you merged, right? You merged and now let's talk about sort of the next um, project. Okay, uh, we merged even, we merged about two years ago and the intention was always uh, to continue on with Papa Mouth. It felt like there were a lot of neat things that we wanted to do. Uh, part of the merge was we accidentally had a product that went gangbuster in the market. So bread is very difficult to wholesale because you have to, meaning most things that are shelf stable, you can deliver them to stores at any point, day or night. Bread needs to be there in a very small window of the day, right from five to seven in the morning. You always want fresh bread, but we had created these crackers and the crackers went um, really everywhere, just all over the place. And so there was a second factory up north that started taking on producing the crackers. And, um, and we sort of felt like, oh, maybe we've gone the distance of what we wanna do or can do in the world of Papa Malaf. It was a really uh, difficult and bittersweet and totally correct decision. And we were like, okay, let's, let's try the next thing. And so we stepped off about, I guess, at the end of March of this year mm -hmm. without a real plan meaning the okay. plan was sort of to breathe a little bit. Do we work together? Can we get normal people jobs? Can I just do something where it starts at nine and ends at five? And it rapidly became clear that no, no, I can't do that at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were, do we work together? Do we work separately? How do we figure this out? And it took us a couple of months. And I would assume that if we were smarter, it should even take longer than just a few months. But after about two, two and a half months, we, were, we had sort of gone back and forth on things that we'd wanted to do and wanted to accomplish. And we we're like, yeah, I think we're gonna go again. So we're going again. And what is it? What is Meshek 48? Meshek 48 is a Meshek traditionally in the world of kibbutz, that's the workforce. Like if you're working, you're, um, you're at the Meshek and then you'll return back. Or a kid that's born on kibbutz is a Ben Meshek, a Bat Meshek. Um, and so there's something about the workforce, 48, just 1948, you got to tag on a little number to it. And what we're doing is we're working in the world of food. Um, so we're, we're continuing to run a lot of workshops that are connected to the land of Israel. But along with that, there are two, um, I guess, passion projects, one that's David's and one that's mine that we're going to focus on. Uh, it turns out I love building communities. It's something that I just enjoy doing. I loved building my team and Papa Malaf, those are people who are super, super near and dear to me. I loved our customers, I loved engaging in them. And so on my end, what I wanna do is I wanna create a community of artisans. So people who are talented, not only in the world of food, but in the world of art or literature or Torah, who want to run workshops and don't have their own space. So we wanted to open up our space and we created an artisan residency program that really lots and lots of people have applied to, which mm. is super, super cool, where people can come and run a one-off workshop on how to make French macaroons 
macarons or, you know, or somebody can come and teach a writing workshop or a water paint. I, meaning for me, I, I actually don't even care what they're teaching as long as it feels like there's this world opening up where the thousands of people in Gush Etzion and in the surrounding areas can um, benefit from talents people have. So for me, that's really exciting. We're David and Dikla, who's joining us, Dikla Magal, are running their own series of workshops throughout the year and focused heavily in the tourist season. And then throughout the year, there are artisans coming at all points in time, including chefs who are coming for a weekend pop-up where, you know, the guy in Tel Aviv who makes amazing pizza will come and use our space and have a pop-up for the weekend. Mostly that's so that I can watch my kids and see who they hang out with. <laughs> Um, David's world, meaning David dug very deep into the world of food. And at this point, he can lecture on things that I really don't understand. But what's important to him is sustainable living. It's taking up, up upcycling food, the amount of food waste everywhere, but certainly in Israel is astronomical. And so he's really been uniting and meeting with chefs across the country or uh, foodies across the country who deal with um, sustainable living. And our hope is hand in hand with the kibbutz who are shockingly, but happily really excited to partner with us. We're gonna start our own farm, small farm, um, where we will be producing food and sort of learning how best to use that food as fully and healthfully as possible. Very interesting. It sounds like a big project. Devorah, for people who want to participate, artisans, chef, pop-up people, how can they contact you? Uh, they can contact us in any number of ways. The website is not up and running yet. When you get there, they're like, hey, we're working on it. And you can sign up for our newsletter. Uh, our newsletter goes out once a week. There are two newsletters, actually. One is to artisans who apply to us. And one is to the bigger crowd of the world who's like, yeah, just sort of keep us posted. Um, on Facebook, there's a Meshek 48 page. And on Instagram, there's also Meshek 48. Those are great places to find me. Also, we want to be found. I think that's one of the things that we are interested in connecting to as many people as possible. It feels the opposite of exclusive. So um, also like even as I talk about the project, like in the high tech world, you need to have your elevator pitch and it has to be like fast and you're 30 seconds and you're done. And I'm like, I could just talk for a day and a half and still not get it out there. Um, but we are very easy to find. Uh, what kind of advice do you have for those thinking of, you know, throwing caution to the wind, living, leaving their careers and opening up something, following their heart and opening up some kind of a business? It's a great question. And the truth is when we first opened, we branded the whole business based on that idea. This idea of like, everybody has a dream that they've sort of tucked in their back pocket. And this guy, David Katz, he's gonna try this dream. Let's see if it works. And it really resonated with people because I think everybody sort of has this, secret dream or the same way they have their novel that's half written somewhere. Um, I would say a couple of things. At a certain point, you need to make money. I think it's very popular to talk about um, investing in yourself or true believing or meaning for sure we would not have survived without investors. And even then, meaning it took a, a great swing. Um, so you want to be very um, smart and honest about what your startup costs are, what it'll take to run a successful business. That's okay, honesty is great. 
Uh, I think that this country is full of people who really swing for the, what do you swing for in baseball? I don't know. Fences. You swing for the fences. There are people who swing for the fences. And I think people are very um, accommodating in terms of sharing their experiences, sharing what they've done. I think you want to take advantage of those people. We would have people in top firms in Tel Aviv who would drive out to us to just sit with us to go over business plans. And they would say, we never leave the office. Like, that's not something we do. We charge hundreds and hundreds of shekel an hour. We don't, you come to us. And there are people who are like, if we believe in you, we're going to really push you forward. And we've been blessed with that. And I think we're nice people, but I don't think we're so super nice that it would only happen to us. I think that there are people out there who really want to share their wisdom. The other thing I would say is um, you need to be flexible. The plan that we had when we started was to have a sourdough artisan bread bakery that wholesaled bread around the country. And after a year or two, it became very clear that that path wasn't going to get you to the successes you wanted to get to for a myriad of reasons. And so you need to sort of be able to assess the moment that you're in and have the flexibility to pivot when you need to pivot. And one more thing, because this is something that I, I believe is really sort of an obstacle, but can be overcome. And that's, you know, we are, we both come from North America. And even though we've both been living in Israel for a very, very long time, more than, well, I'm not going to say how long, but a long time. Um, and I don't want to get into percentage percentages of life, but um, you come with a certain culture and you're trying to do business in a different culture. I always felt that that sort of presented certain obstacles. Um, they're surmountable, right? It was, you can get around it. But did you find that that was an issue for you sort of, even though you, you've been here as your whole your adult life and, but it's sort of a different culture and it was a little bit difficult to sort of, you know, swim in that culture? 1000%, 1000%. I would say there were times that we would have meetings with people who are like, like there was just, there was no common ground. I'm pretty good at talking to most people. And I would find that I'd be sitting at a table with, an Israeli ex-commando military guy who isn't observant, has been, meaning has never, we were in the Shtachim, we're across the green line. Like there was no commonality there. I'm like this well-intentioned Canadian chick, like there wasn't. And so there were definitely times that that was really hard. And I would say there were times that I was completely unsuccessful with it. I would also say one of the things that you, meaning when you ask about the Americanness, that's true, but you're missing asking about the femaleness. Meaning there were tables that would not like they they would there would be a table of people and my voice couldn't be heard because it was a men's club, and it took a number of years for me to sort of question that, and be like I I think that we're missing things here. But at a certain point, there were certain cost rate levels that we could have gotten that I wouldn't get because they wouldn't sit at a table with me. And it wasn't, that to me was a, a baseline. So I'm finding that seven years on, as we start this business, I'm walking into meetings now with a confidence and, um, and almost like an acceptance of I'm Canadian, I'm a woman, and that's really gonna be fine. And I can still talk business. So there definitely is that notion, but I actually think Erna works both ways. I think sometimes if you come to the table as an American, you get a begrudging respect for that as well. And I can tell you, there's a certain sense of uh, satisfaction that I personally have knowing that I, you know, built a business in, in a oh. foreign country. It doesn't have to be in Israel, right? In a foreign country with a different language. That's sort of cool. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> it's really kind of awesome. 
I think the message that we had for our kids as we had started was like, this might really totally fail. We have absolutely no idea, but um, isn't it awesome that we're trying? And I think that for me, for my kids to have gone through this experience, certainly my older kids are tied into that bakery and had buy-in with Papa Melech. That was just unbelievable. And even when we left, it was interesting that David and I went through our own um, experience of mourning it and processing it, but my kids also had similar experiences. Yeah. That's interesting. So if it's to sum up or for the final question, and I'm sure you get this all the time from people, right? Somebody's, you know, there's somebody who's moving to Israel and they want to, you know, they want to open a business. What do you sort of tell them? I mean, you, you mentioned it before, right? That they have to be realistic going in and know you have to make, ultimately you have to make money. But what do you tell them just to jump in? Or would you tell them, you know what, why don't you get a job first and then, you know, tread your, spin your wheels for 20 years and then maybe start a business? No, well, you are what am I going to say to spin your wheels for 20 years? No, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what you should do. Just be in a dead end job for 20 years. No, I think that this, I, I think specific to this country, this is a country that takes a lot of chances and people really respect um, people who dare or who try. And I think that when you step foot in this country, if you're just coming or if you've been here for a while, and if you have a dream that's attainable, or create the support staff, create the network for yourself. Even the government has great resources for new businesses where they're offering you coaching at lower prices. There are so many things available. I would say that I don't see a downside in trying. I really don't. Great. Uh, one more time, how can people get in touch with you if they wanna be Thank part you. of your new uh, business? Or if they just want to be like Devorah, you did so well on that podcast. Meaning, I think there are any any million of reasons people would want to get in touch. You can find me on Facebook at Devorah Levine Cats. Also, you can find me on Facebook at Meshek Forty Eight. Most of the time, you're going to find me on Instagram, just making little stories about what I'm doing that day. Also, Meshek Forty Eight. Those are great ways to find me. I'm pretty um, available to chat because I just really enjoy it. Thank you so much. This was great. Thanks so much for coming on. Great to see you. Um, okay, thanks so much. You've been tuning into the Aaron Katzman Show. We speak about your life, your money, and your investments. Be sure, once again, hit the like button below. And if you've not yet done so, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll speak to you soon.